interesting story here. This is the story of Babel in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. It says, Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. This is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Lord, we, we pray that we could um, just see ourselves in this story. See Your hand, Lord, working. And um, God, that we could understand how this would apply in our lives today. Um, for Your sake, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, if anything you want to write down today, um, one thing I'd like you to do is keep this in mind. That every time you read a story in the Bible, um, of course there's, there's so many other things I could say, right? This isn't a sermon about how to read your Bible, okay? Um, but, you know, we, we would want to read things always in their historical context. We, we don't want to take things out of context in the Bible. We... Uh, you know what I'm saying? That, that we uh, wouldn't just grab one verse here and one verse there. And I know that works for us when we first come to Christ and we're young Christians that just, just having like one power verse that gets us over the hump or whatever and encourages us in our living. But as we mature in Christ, as you grow as a Christian, it says that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so... As we go to God's Word, we would want to grow in, in our understanding of it. And so we always remember historical context, and, and we always want to make sure that we're not uh, making a verse mean what we want, and those kind of things. Um, but one thing that I do think we tend to forget a lot of times is to uh, you know, read Scripture with a fresh imagination and and ask God to speak to us anew from it. Um, I read the one-year Bible every year, and, and I'm amazed at through praying, and like there's so many stories that just come out and go like I've never read them before. And then sometimes I come to an old story that I've read so many times, I know it inside and out, and I'll find myself just kind of through it, you know, instead of just saying, Lord, give me fresh eyes to this story. Well, all that to set up this comment. Especially, I I believe, well, I'm going to say both, New Testament and Old. But you need to ask yourself, is, 
where am I in this? Where am I in this story? Is, is there something about me or us in human condition that's here in the story? Let me give you an example of, of that. Uh, uh, one, one Christmas uh, reading, you know, the story of like the wise men, the magi. Like what happens before in that story, before they come, or, or in their coming, I mean. They come, right, and they go to Herod, and, and then they go and they see the baby and they worship him. And then what happens? It's horrific, right? King Herod, King Herod issues a decree that, that like every male child in that whole vicinity was to be killed. And... You know, we tend to ask first, man, where are you, God, in that? Right? Where are you, God, in this massive slaughter of all these innocent children? And I think the better question we ask is, where am I in that? Where am I in that story? And, you know, it's interesting. I talk to a lot of Christians, and they, they, don't, they don't see themselves in that way. Not, maybe it's a personality thing. I don't know. And I can't force them to do it. But I've, I've benefited in, in the growth in grace by being able to say, God, I see myself in that guy. That guy, Herod. I, I think if I had the power to rule and reign and did not know you, I think it's in my human heart to do those kind of things. And so God, I thank you for your grace. Instead of looking at that story and blaming you or wondering why or just going, oh, look how evil that guy is, but but, but just be to be horrified at the sense that you are in that story as well. And that you could be that guy. You could be that guy who had too much power and was in no way connected to God and therefore do those kind of heinous things. And so it causes us to come to the foot of the cross with a fresh perspective, right? And go, oh, how amazing this grace is. How amazing your provision of salvation is, Lord. See, I think a lot of Christians think that God's just getting them over the hump. And that what Jesus offers us is just that little bit of extra. Kind of like I, you know, might take two ibuprofen when I have a headache. Just, just that little bit to get me back on track. And that's not where we're at. I want us to see ourselves in this story this morning. There's these three things that they do here that I think are common to our heart without the Lord's work in us. And the first one is, they're the good things, but used in the wrong direction. The first one is, is, is unity. Unity is a good thing, right? But unity that's around, uh, the, the unity that comes from our flesh sometimes is to get around like-minded people so that we can accomplish something that we want. You know what I'm saying? Like it's actually difficult to be around people that aren't like-minded. 
And, and let, me, let me just put in a plug for the, these three elders that are coming on. I mean, we are like-minded in a lot of ways in terms of scriptural things and uh, the, the essentials of the Christian faith, like-minded in that. But from that point on, this is like this diverse group. Really, I mean, if you hang out with Garrett or Chris or Eric, you'll know that they are not like me at all. And you'll be like glad for that, right? Versus, you know, it's, uh, we used to joke, PD and the five elders, right? Like Pastor Dude and his team of five, that it's not a team of people that are just perfectly like-minded. And what does that mean, though? That usually means that unity is a lot more difficult, Right? And so it challenges us to, to learn how to be unified when we have different opinions on things. And see, that causes us what? To need to seek the counsel of the Lord more. A tendency of the human heart is to unify amongst people of like mind so that you can accomplish what you want. Do you see yourself in that, in this text? They say, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And let's use brick instead of stone and tar for mourner. Come let us build a city for ourselves. And you think at first, man, this is good. These are people being unified. And it is good in the sense that people are coming together to accomplish more. Listen, we as a church can do more together than you can do by yourself. Unity is a good thing. But unity in the sense of fallen flesh is that work of just gathering together for what we want instead of what God wants. And so we've got to watch for that. So their goal and their unity was to make a name for themselves, right? Let us make a name for ourselves so that we're not scattered over the face of the earth. There was this fear of of going out and actually doing what God had said. Because didn't God say that to Adam, right? Didn't God say to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and fill the earth? And then after Noah, right, when Noah's building this altar and worshiping the Lord and the Lord recommissions him, what does he tell him to do? He tells him to be fruitful and and fill the earth. And so this is, this is totally antithetical to what God wants. Let's be unified so that we can make a name for ourselves so that we're not spread out over the earth. And see, the part that I want us to see ourselves in is we can read these stories and wonder about them and instead of going, whoa, wait. God, you're holding up a mirror to me right now that that is the tendency of my heart. Is that I would gather around people of like mind so that I can make a name for myself so that I I don't really have to do what you want me to do because that puts me in my zone being uncomfortable, right? And I'd rather be comfortable, Lord. So there's that challenge. Well, then what would be for us then? We want unity. We want unity with the goal of seeking the Lord, right? So that His name could be known to the ends of the earth. 
our unity would be, Lord, draw us together so that we could seek you, so that then we could go out and your name would be known. And that would be the reason why we've even gathered here today, partially, right? We've gathered here to worship the Lord. We've gathered here to encourage one another that we're not alone in this Christian thing, right? But are we to go from here and just go to our homes and just be totally comfortable and keep this Christian thing to ourselves? No, Paul, or uh, the, the writers in the gospel said, put it this way. They said, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. No, they, they put it up on the mantle so that it can be seen, right? And so the light that we have of Christ, we're not trying to, uh, and, and we tend to interpret that as hiding it. Um, but, but really the, the metaphor is, is more like how ridiculous it would be to, to light a candle or light a lamp and then, and then put it under a bowl. Like, no, it's not meant to do that. It's not, we tend to think, I think, in our Christian guilt and not being the greatest witnesses that, that, oh, that means that we're hiding the fact that we're Christians. And I think we've all done that at times where we've sort of felt embarrassed or something and we've sort of hidden that fact. But really it's not talking about that as much as it's just setting the example. You would not do that crazy foolish thing, light a lamp and then put a... Um, a, a, a a bowl or a, a basket or something over it. You know, it'd be like, I don't know, at my house, I'd turn on a few lights so I could read and then i cover them with a, with a tarp or a trash bag or something. No, we, that's, that's ridiculous. The light's meant to shine and, and the Christian life is meant to bear witness to Him. We're meant to go out from here and show the world who Jesus Christ is. Right? So our unity should be in the goal of truly seeking that His name would be known into all the ends of the earth. So looking back at this text though, we go, oh wait, there's some good things here. There is unity. Right? There's technological advancement. There's, there's probably a workforce coming together. There's, there's culture being built. You know, these are good things that are happening. But what's the underlying theme that's not good. And it's the wrong motive of for ourselves. It is, is your life for yourself or is it for His glory and His purpose? It's a good question to ask yourself. What, Lord, and, and not assume what that means, right? Because we get all messed up when, when we, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, if you take that too far, you can't even go to dinner with your friend or you, you can't go on a camping trip with your family or, you know, if you get too weird about that, right? Have you ever been in that place where you're just questioning everything in your life? Like, does it really matter? Is it really for God's purpose? And we, we want to back away from that kind of weirdness, but we all honestly want to have an in our lives, active in our prayers, is being coming before God and saying, Lord, don't lead me in my ways, the things that I want to do for me, God, but lead me in your path that's about your glory and about your purpose. Because there's nothing greater in my life than what you would desire for me. In um, 
Philippians 2, 17, it says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So I'm thinking, i got a, a mom in the front row, pastor's wife, homeschool teacher, takes care of our kids, and I've got a fifth grade teacher who goes to a school yet still takes care of her kids and is married and, and right just right here in the front row that it's not one thing's not better than the other isn't that funny like homeschool compared to, to, to public school and we're not going to have that battle here this morning but it would be to say to both of these ladies hey whatever you do do it all in the name of the Lord giving glory and thanks to God the Father through him now here's the interesting thing, that in, Pente- in the day of Pentecost, that when everyone was speaking a different language, they were heard. And, and, and listen to this text here. Just in, in contrast, right there, unity in the story we read was around one language and around them accomplishing their goal. And on the day in which the Holy Spirit pours out into the world, God's just showing us, hey, that, that true doing... And being can even be done in all these different languages if our unity is around the goal of preaching Christ. And it says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there was in Jerusalem uh, Jews living there and devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished. Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Why is this? Are not all they who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own language to which we are born? And then there's this incredible list of all these languages. And it says, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they continued in amazement in great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? And see, God breaks in, and all of a sudden there's a unity amongst them, even though all the languages are different. Because God's saying, I'm going to redeem that. And under, in heaven, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. See, you, you, you meant it way back in the day to unify yourselves and made a name for yourselves, and me and my grace... I divided that up and sent you out and, and made it beautiful. So now there's l- different cultures and there's different languages and there's different groups all coming together to be unified under Christ rather than for yourselves. And it's this beautiful picture of what is to come, right? In heaven it says that the heaven's inhabited by every tribe, every nation, every language. And so, this morning, if you're coming here, we're not asking you to to figure out the language of this church only and figure out the the language of just Christianity. We're asking you to bring all your gifts and all your culture and all your input and just lay it at the feet of the cross and say, God, it's for you and not for me. And the Lord makes that beautiful. He makes that beautiful. So the unity that we want to preserve is this unity and the bond of peace. 
Ephesians 4 says it this way. It says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then it goes on to say that in this, in this body of Christ, that each person's given different gifts for the growing up of the Christian body into maturity and into the love of God and under the headship of Christ. And so, see in this story that, that the way that our tendency is to do the total opposite. Well, the next thing that they do in their unity, right, is they're trying to build a build a tower to God, right? They're trying to build for themselves something that, that God would come down to. It's like an ancient ziggurat, really, is what it is. But see that also, a tendency in your own life to go, man, how can I build a way to God instead of the humble way, which is God comes to me in Christ. I, I don't go to Him. He comes to me. And that tendency to try and figure it out for ourselves and, and really that whole thing of building a, a tower that reaches to the heavens is about let's build for us some sort of opportunity or something that God might see it and bless or any God might see it and bless or help. or It's, it's all about us hedging our bet. It's all about us trying to figure out our way so that we might get blessed, that we might have it all figured out. And God breaks into that to say, no, the thing that I want you to do is just sit before me, not build a way to me, but rather have me come to you through Christ in faith. And you recognizing, wait, God's done it all rather than now I try and do more. And so they, they try to build this, this tower that reaches to the heavens. Jesus, um, he kind of caught the crowd in that. They were all gathering around him. And uh, they'd been searching for him. And he went across the Sea of Galilee. And they went, you know, they're like booking around all night long around the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee, and they get there, and here's what he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He goes on to say, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. And then he goes on to speak to them about how he himself is the bread of life. But he calls them out on the fact that they go all the way around the lake. And he's like, hey, you're not here because you're really looking to me. You're here because you're looking to what I can do for you. That I can hook you up right now with a meal, with a blessing, with a this, with a that. And that's this tendency in our heart is to go to God or build our way there to say, God, would you just bless? Would you land on my life? Would you make me successful? The list goes on. And the Lord just calls him out on that. And he says, what you really need is to believe in who I am. And the story unfolds 
And, and they, they asked, they asked him, they said, hey, what will you do for a sign that we might see and believe on you? What work will you perform? And so he goes on to say to them that the very work of God in their life would be to believe in him. And so I just encourage you, recognize that tendency in your own life, along with trying to unify with other people to do what you want. The next thing would be to build for yourself something that would make you more acceptable to God. And it doesn't work. It's manipulation. So what are the three things that we should do then? Let let me just throw in this this last one. Was was the third thing they did was more in their tendency, right? They did all that so that they wouldn't be scattered. But what did God ask them to do? God had asked them to go out. So do you see that as it's, exact, it's exactly disobedient to what he had for them? He wanted them to go and fill the whole world. They wanted to hang out together. You've got to see that contrast. So what should we do? First of all, we should just unify under the name of Jesus. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, you know, they're doing an amazing thing down there. They're going to bring those boxes out in a minute. Um, And and, and church, we tend to do this. Like if, if I came up with a service project for us or something to do, we would tend to probably experience more unity in doing something. And that's okay. That's totally cool. But first and foremost, our, our true unity needs to be understood that it's in Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done for us. I mean, you can find amazing musicians. You know what? I... There, there's prob- probably people that could run better Sunday schools and preach better sermons than me and not really be connected to Christ. So it's not about doing it all well. It's first and foremost being unified in Him. That we recognize there is no salvation in anyone else. There's no other name under heaven and earth by which we can be saved. And we come first to Him, and that we're unified first and foremost in Him. I mean, Tara and Dennis, I see you over there. I, I don't know about you guys, but I know when I was a youth pastor and I had interns and we were helping, I had to get that team together all the time and say, look, you guys, it is not tonight about running some cool event, some successful game. Because we were, man, we, I was fun central. Okay, I mean, that was the part I, I hated giving up in youth pastoring was. It just was, was about cool events and time with kids. But it would be getting my interns and my helpers around me and going, wait a second, you guys, this thing is not about pulling it off tonight. But it's about making Jesus known. And so open your eyes and look for that conversation that you're going to have later or that thing that this is going to build towards so that you could spend time with a kid on a Tuesday or something so that the name of Jesus can be made known. 
And then the next uh, step that we take away from building this tower to God, like us trying to make something our way up, would be to turn from that, right? And just sit at our feet in front of the cross and say, Lord, just help me to live a life that honestly worships you in spirit and in truth and a life that's yours, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. Did not our Lord pray that in the garden, you guys? If it's possible, take this cup from me, right? The cup of suffering. He's looking to the cross. He's looking to being alienated from God, uh, whom he's had perfect relationship through all eternity because he's going to take upon him the sins of the whole world and seeing through that he can look into the human suffering but even more important than that the suffering as the son of God being alienated from the father because he took upon him the sins of the world that's the gospel you guys Jesus going my God my God why have you forsaken me It's because He stood in that place for you who should have been forsaken because of the life that you've lived. And He takes that forsaking upon Himself so that we could be saved. And so, the goal in our life is then obviously to come before Him and go, man, Lord, my life's not my own. I'm not building anything for my name's sake. But whatever, for your name's sake, you could build through me. That's what I want, Lord. And then the last thing would be to remember our great commission this morning. They unified. They tried to build something for themselves so that they didn't have to go out and fulfill what God had clearly told them to do. Go fill the earth. Church, what has Jesus clearly told us to do? To go and make disciples in His name. And you probably, if you're like me in this, you just feel like a failure in that all the time. You're thinking about how you compare to other people or, or you just ask yourself, well, is that, if that's my job and you, and you look at your life record and you're like, I don't think I've made any disciples ever. <laughs> then you kind of have that sense of going, oh my gosh. I want you to just rest in that place for a minute and kids, I've got two, well, give me two minutes. Don't, Don't freak out in that place and try and go manufacture some disciple or something that you're doing for God. Because that's just going right back to the the ziggurat thing. Let's build a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower to heaven. I'm going to go build a disciple so that God might at least go, man, good job, Mark. Listen. See, listen, you see your life. If you just live your life for God as a witness for Him. You're helping to make a disciple somewhere. This is so key to get because you could be teaching and making disciples all week long. You've got all kinds of Bible meetings, but then your life is dinging so many people and causing so much havoc that there's no witness there and there's this contrast and now you're not helping make disciples at all. You're actually 
hurting the kingdom while you think you're doing well for the kingdom. And I just want to say, don't do that. Your prayer, your constant witness, your just simply living for Christ and saying, I'm available, Lord, is the best kind of start. And let God use that. And maybe in your life, you will only, uh, at the end, like 50% of your input helped another person with another person. And you can't even claim one disciple being made for Jesus in your life. But I'm telling you from God's perspective, no. I saw what you invested in that person. I saw how you lived for me and were a clear witness to me. You have to understand that all the eyes that saw that, the math has just multiplied. You were a part in making many disciples for my name's sake. And so church, be encouraged by that. And so that last thing, remember our great commission. So the three things, let's unify under the name of Jesus. Let's, let's lay our lives down. We're not building something. We're saying, God, what would you want to build in me? And then we're going. We're constantly going from here. And kids, I know you're listening. Those of you that you can understand this, you're going out from here today to make His name known out there. And that is totally opposite of the tank job that we see in the story. Let's pray.